Hello, hello, my dear friends, participants and listeners. Hello, my sister Inna, I know you are listening. I'm Peter Resnick, and welcome to the Dr. Peter Resnick's Toolbox. My friend Gwen, our frequent caller, sent me an email this week asking to address the issue of mass shootings that are happening in our country, suggesting that all these shooters were on psychiatric drugs. I also heard that some of these psychiatric medications actually say in their side effects may produce suicidal and or homicidal ideations. But I'm not qualified to talk really about psychiatric drugs. Um, I'm not a psychiatrist, but there is someone here on PRN who is way more qualified. Um, in fact, he's being called conscious of psychiatry. This is Dr. Peter Bregan, and uh, he is on Dr. Uh, Peter Bregan hour on Wednesday at 4 p.m. And in fact, on April 12th, Barbara Simpson interviewed Dr. Bregan on this subject. And, that on a, and if you go on Dr. Bregan's archives, you will be able to hear on, on the April 12th, 2023, the whole interview on this subject. Today, as I told you last week, we're going to talk about fear. But I also just remembered just before the beginning of this show um, that we designated last Tuesday of each month as a day when anybody can call with their night dreams. And please do, I will work with you uh, on understanding and engaging your night dream if that is important. I spoke many times about the importance of understanding and engaging your night dream. So I will not bore you today with the same information. And if you are interested, you can go on my website and read the article called Dream Work. Um, but, you know, the article is good, but it's not, I believe, enough because a lot of people read articles and uh, still have challenges uh, working on their own night dreams. It's challenging. You need help. In fact, sometimes I have a night dream that is puzzling and it's easier if somebody asks me questions. So I call my sister in and I say, okay, take me through the drill. And she asked me the questions that I taught her how to ask and then the dream becomes clearer. So if you want to call, please, the number here is 888-874-4888. Uh, you can also send me an email. Um, not, I'm not going to read the email during the show. That's for the future shows. Dr. Peter Resnick at gmail.com. G-R-P-E-T-E-R-R-E-Z-N-I-K at gmail.com. By the way, um, a little announcement. Uh, if you remember... Uh, a year and a half ago, I started teaching a course, uh, Mind-Body Integrative Therapy for Health Professionals, which lasted almost a year and a half. I finished in March uh, 2023. Uh, I had a group of eight people, health professionals, a physician from Mexico, a nurse from Pennsylvania, 
two psychologists from Israel, people from different states here in America, social worker from New Jersey, social worker from New York. So they are finished. They all now uh, practicing this approach that I do. And you already heard me speak about different modalities, different tools that I apply in my work with people on their mental or physical problems. So uh, in September, I'm going to start teaching a new course. So if any of you are health professionals, or you have people who may be interested in taking a class, um, you can send me an email, uh, also go on my website under offerings and go to health professionals and read the whole outline of the course. But again, uh, the best is if you call me and we have a chat and I see if you are qualified, if you're interested, if, if this is for you. But it's quite a journey. Uh, you learn a lot about yourself and you learn very powerful tools on how to be helpful to people on all levels of their being emotional, mental, physical, uh, intellectual, spiritual. Now, before we start a uh, little show and tell, uh, oh, here we have Eva from California with a night dream. Wow, be wonderful. Before we go with show and tell, we'll uh, talk to Eva from California. Eva, you're on the air. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Um, I woke up uh, out of a dream, and the dream was really quick. Uh, I was like in a room full of flowers, like when you go in a craft store, and it was just like packed. And then I heard a voice, um, which I determined to be my brother's, and he said, I can't get out. When I completely woke up, I um, got on the internet to where my brother um, had played in a church, and he was the, and his wife had uh, posted that he that he passed. And so, how common is this to have someone? He had passed actually four months ago, and and no one had told me except for I guess my brother. How does that work? Mm -hmm. And why why such an odd thing like I can't get out? I mean, we were estranged from each other, and he was abusive to me all of my life. So I don't understand what kind of a communication or even why. Eva, let me ask you a couple of questions. So just for me, if I didn't miss anything in your story. First, I'm very sorry you lost your brother four months ago. You say yes? Yes, but I just got the message. I just got the dream. Just got the dream, and you did not know that he passed. Is no. that correct? Correct. And when you now when you just had a dream, did you call and find out? Did you find out that he's passed? No, um, I'm a, uh, his his sister-in-law doesn't have anything to do with me and, and whatever, but she posted on the church um, website that John had passed suddenly. So, and just, and then so. I, I call I got a hold of the mortuary and verified that he actually had died. So just because you had this night dream, you started searching in the church. Uh, Side, and that's how you found out, yes? Yes, that's true. And I'm really sorry. I'm sorry. I know that you were estranged, but still your brother. Very sorry to hear it. Uh, but let's now 
make sense of what happened. Everything would be very uh, clear if if it wouldn't be for these words, I cannot get out. Because I would say, and I don't know if you read my article on Night Dreams, or is it your first time that you are on this site, or or you have been with me for a while? Eva? No, I I don't know too much about you, I'm sorry. Uh, Okay, no, no, (laughs) it's okay, I'm happy you called. Uh, But I've been speaking for a couple of years with people about night dreams and the importance of them and and different kinds of night dreams. So most of them are what we call wisdom dreams, where a person receives messages that through night dreams that help a person to connect with the present moment and live better quality of life. And it comes from his or her, you can call it subconscious mind, you can call it higher self. It comes from the, from with deep within. Uh, I would say up to 95% of all dreams are like that. But somewhere 3 to 5% of dreams are visitation dreams. That is when a person comes, and, and you're not the first person who called with uh, this kind of a dream where somebody who passed and they didn't know comes to them. And they suddenly realize that this person is on the other side, and then it's confirmed. So everything would, how do you know, in general, whether it's a a real visitation, or it's just a wisdom dream, because in wisdom dreams, where we're getting messages, you know, from our unconscious, uh, every person in a dream is just a part of us. But how, so how do you know the difference between the wisdom dream and visitation dream? Most wisdom dreams have a drama. Let's say the drama would be you're playing with your brother and you are traveling somewhere. And a drama is unfolding. But visitation dreams are just a person appears and tells you something. So and you have a feeling that it's real. real. You wake up and, and no, my God, this 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 person was with me. So that's visitation dream. Uh, and I would say if your brother just appeared to you, then it would be very clear. Okay, your brother passed and he appeared to you. But one, it happened four months after he passed. Two, I am puzzled that he says, I cannot get out. I will give you my interpretation, Eva. Uh, yes. And I, I don't know what you will want to do with it. Uh, but definitely, if you're connected with your church, your church, you may go and talk to your priest. I have my ideas about what to do with it. But I don't want um, to tell you what to do before you talk to your priest, if you're interested, I'm not. I'm not involved with a a church or um, anything on that order. It was my brother. He was a uh, the organist. Then I will tell you my my opinion. Uh, when if he says I cannot get out, my feeling, and I I I kind of am hesitant to tell you this because it's not an maybe not an easy thing to hear. But my feeling is that he's stuck somewhere. Because there is no question that it's a visitation. 
because because of how you described he appeared. Uh, in most of the time, in my understanding, and that uh, the understanding of many people that, that uh, were my teachers, when a person passes, there is there is no death. There is life after life, but it's just different uh, form of life. Uh, the body is shed, body it decomposes, of course, but the consciousness, there is a first uh, law of thermodynamics, in fact, and, and it postulates that energy does not appear or disappear, it just changes its form. So body is gone, the body is gone, and then the consciousness continues its journey. And usually it joins what we call this, the rest of the soul, because um, part of that soul was in the body, inhabiting the body. Once the body is no longer useful for whatever reason, then the body joins uh, the rest of the consciousness or that which we call the soul. But I, it's not the first time I hear that people are kind of stuck for whatever reason. Sometimes it's because they're full of anger, sometimes because they're full of doubt. I don't know how great was his connection with the church. I don't know anything about him. But my personal feeling would be like, let's say, if you would come in my office and say to me, here, Dr. Resnick, that's what I have. And, and in the privacy of our office, I would still say the same thing. I'm sorry, uh, something is happening. And if you are willing, you can explore of connecting with him. Uh, you can do it, um, you know, if you want. I, I don't want to do it uh, here on the air. But since you had the courage to call and the curiosity to call, you can give me a call, send me an email, and I will spend with you some time on the phone. You don't need to pay me for it. And I will tell you exactly what to do if you're interested in connecting with him and trying to help him out, because he definitely, um, he definitely reached out to you. Why he didn't reach out to other people, I do not know. I, I can again, I can guess. Remember, on the other side, they know everything you know, they connect at the same time, they remember, it's consciousness, it has no limitations. So it can be in many places at the same time. So uh, it he possibly tried to reach others and w wasn't successful. But also he knows that you, uh, I don't know, if you were about to listen to this show, or you were more or less regular listener. Uh, and I am talking about night dreams all the time, which means there is a possibility, Eva, that knowing that you will be able to present it here, your brother came to you with this petition, with this request. I, I am not well, confident. Okay. But this is, what do you think about what I'm saying? You Absolutely. Uh, you know, absolutely, this is correct. I will definitely work with you. Yeah, I, I, I will just tell you what to do. It, it's, um, it's not a difficult process. And you will find you will also get a feedback from him if I am correct, and you do this exercise with him. 
The reason I mentioned the church is because uh, church leaders, leaders, leaders experience usually know what to do. They are familiar with this phenomenon. But if you're not connected with the church, so I will tell you exactly what to do. And you will see, because if I am correct and you do, you help him out, then he, most of the time they come back in a night dream and thank you. Uh, so because it's, it's, a, it's a touching kind of uh, issue, you know, he, he reached out to you, you were not connected. I don't know why, but it's, you were not connected in, in, in this life in the last 10 or 20 or even 30 years, but possibly you're connected on a spiritual level very much. Uh, from what I learned also about the soul is that most of the time souls choose to incarnate within families. So, or close friends, because we continue in each successive life, we continue uh, mastering our relationships, improving our relationships. And by working on our relationships, we work on ourselves because the main goal or one of the main goals of us being on this planet is climbing the ladder of ourselves, becoming the best of ourselves. But the best forum of challenging ourselves and becoming the best we can become is through uh, relationships whether they're loving and pleasant or they're challenging. And I understand if you were disconnected from your brother, at some point in life, it was a challenging relationship. So, uh, so it would be, a, I, I'm really thankful to you for calling. And um, I will be more than happy to, to help you out with it. Just you have to calculate a little bit with time because on Thursday, I'm flying to London to visit my daughter, and I will be away for, for 10 days. But still, I'm five hours ahead and plus three hours ahead of you because I'm in New York now. So it's eight hour difference. But even there, you can reach me out, um, reach me by uh, what is it, WhatsApp, and we'll have a chat. Uh, it's not you need to know what to do. It's not difficult to explain what to do. And I would be very happy if you not only help him out, but then call us and let us know what happened. Okay, Eva? Great. Thank you. So, okay. Well, since already this happened to you and you did not hear me talk about night dreams before, I would very highly recommend that you read the article. You go on my um, website, drpeterresnik.com, go under articles, and I have many articles there, scroll down and you will find the one called dream work. Read it, it will kind of fill you in about the whole work on dreams and the importance of them. And but this is a very unique dream. And I hope we we'll do something good with it. Okay, Eva, thank you so much for calling. Thank you very much. I'll be in touch. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. I am very happy Eva called, and I, I hope you, you were clear about what happened with Eva and, and her night dream. Uh, so I started with um, a little show and tell. Uh, I walked in my neighborhood 
and that's Forest Hills, Queens, New York. And within a radius of a couple of blocks, I encountered a quite surprising phenomenon. This phenomenon, and I will tell you about what this phenomenon was, uh, made me think about someone, made me think about Francisco Pizarro, a Spanish conquistador, who in the beginning of 16th century, with an army, he was a Spaniard, and with an army of a couple of hundred soldiers, he came, I believe, on, on two uh, tall ships, uh, uh, conquered what is today known as Peru. Think about it, with a couple of hundred of soldiers conquered a country the size twice as big as France. How could he do that? In fact, at one point they mustered to have an army to, to resist Pizarro of 80,000 people. And yet they were all slaughtered. Why? Because the, the army consisted of peasants. The ruler didn't really have an army. He quickly brought together peasants, but peasants who were half asleep. The reason they could not resist. I tell you the reason. It was a unique society where the ruler and maybe a couple of hundred of his, call it taskmasters, or, or, um, or you can call them soldiers or helpers, were in charge of the whole society, collecting all the goods that people produced. It was kind of, if not slavery, um, servitude that all peasants were in. And at the end of the working day, and they worked on the land that basically belonged to the ruler, they all would get very little food just to feed themselves for the day and their family, and they would get coca leaves. You know what coca leaves? They would chew them, become sluggish, and go to sleep. And that was their life. And the ruler knew exactly what he was doing. He created this, I cannot even call it kind of, it's not a totalitarian system, it's like a system of total slavery. Because of what? Because these people were numbed by a drug. And he was able to control this enormous territories just because people were dependent on the substance. And the reason I thought about him and the phenomena that I observed in Forest Hills, Queens, was I walked around uh, really literally few blocks from Queens uh, Avenue, uh, to 68th Street, 67th Street, just uh, think like literally a radius of four blocks. And I discovered five, five new stores selling what they call, not marijuana now, it's a bad word, CBD. The stores are more or less all new. 
not doing super well because uh, they're not crowded with people. And yet uh, I, I stood by one, uh, actually two of the stores, and I watched how many people walk in, constantly one or two people walk in. Who is subsidizing these stores? Who is opening these stores? I wonder. Suddenly we have so many of these stores opened. They cannot, and, and it's inexpensive um, areas. They have to pay a lot of money for rent. How? Who is subsidizing these stores? And what is the purpose of giving this all these people, particularly young people, something that is numbing? More and more research now is coming out of what this CBD, that what is this marijuana doing to people? It definitely impairs memory. It definitely slows them people down. It, it reminded me so much of the of the Peru of 16th century. It seems to me, you know, it's interesting because most totalitarian regimes want people to be asleep, not to have their own will. In fact, most totalitarian regimes either are impersonating gods, like in Egypt, or the Inca society, and that's what uh, these people were, the, uh, the ones who Francisco Pizarro um, uh, captured, uh, conquered. This was the Inca society. So, and the the ruler was in, in personif personification of God, the same uh, uh, pharaoh of Egypt. Um, example, the story, the, the, the story of the Hebrews exiting um, Egypt, the belief is that it was Ramses II who was the ruler, and Mses, the word Mses literally means a child. So Ramses is child of God Ra, so which means also a God. So either to control people, people um, pretended to be gods or completely wanted to eradicate God, just like in, in China, in, uh, in Nazi Germany, where they pursued uh, and imprisoned Catholics. Uh, and of course, in the in the Soviet Union, why? Because the moment you have higher power, people can turn to that higher power, then you're not a supreme leader. So people need the, the rulers, people who want to control the society, need to get rid of, of that religion, because they want to be a religion. They want to be in control. They want people to rely only on them. And I'm, I'm so sorry to watch what is happening in America. I've been in America now for 42 years, and I've never seen what is happening now in the last couple of years, that the, the churches are attacked. There is definitely pressure on the religious communities. Why? You ask why? Why? Uh, those in power want to get rid of religion and want people to be numb. All these stores, I'm very suspicious. Anyway, that's part of my uh, show and tell. Uh, 
And oh, they, I also have another little show and tell. You know, so much time goes on show and tell, but I I think it's interesting. Uh, please let me know, please through emails or call me if you're interested in my stories. But I found this on on uh, FaceTime, I believe. And in fact, after I read this little piece, I realized that it's a good um, springboard to our talk today about fear. Here is the story. I heard this story once about a teacher who took a fish out of its bowl and left a classroom of children as the fish flopped around, telling them that if anyone left their seat, they would be expelled. All of the children sat and watched as this fish flopped gasping for air, not wanting to get up in order to avoid getting in trouble. Finally, a girl sprang up from her seat and ran to the fish, placing it back in the bowl. Ultimately, she was the only one who refused to watch the fish die. When the teacher returned, he told the class that this was a lesson, that the fear of getting in trouble should never stop them from doing what is right. That sometimes you may have to oppose authority and groupthink simply because it's the right thing to do. Isn't that incredible? What an experiment, huh? You know, when I read this little piece, uh, uh, I remembered something, and it's about fear. I remembered an incident that I cannot say haunted me, but I never forget, and it's been now over 50 years. I was either 15 or 16 years old. Remember, there were no cell phones. In fact, there were no telephones. There was well, no big distances. There were little booths. Uh, you could <clears throat> make a call, but if it was a rural area, maybe the telephone was in in the center of a little town. That was all. And maybe in the hospital, one telephone uh, and in the police uh, office. So I remember walking on the street. Uh, it was not in the center of the city uh, because my parents uh, lived and I, when until the age of eight, we lived in the suburb, suburbs of Odessa, Ukraine. And the incident I'm thinking about happened when I was going to visit a friend, Nicholas, a friend of mine, and I think I was 15 or 16 years old. Uh, and I saw three men beating one man. And they were grown up, maybe 20 year old, 25 year old. And there, it was on the other side of the street. And I was passing on, on my side. And people also people who were on the other side would cross to my side, not to God forbid get in, into this uh, situation where three guys were beating one guy and somehow they would get in trouble too. 
And I was slowly passing by watching, and I did not interfere. And I understand that, you know, I don't know how many people would interfere. I was 15 years old, maybe. Uh, but I knew that it was not the right thing to pass by. I, I knew something needs to be done, that, that it was not right to leave this person there being abused and do nothing. Again, there were no telephones. Maybe if I like now, maybe uh, I don't know, I would uh, call on cell phone or uh, police. But that, at that time, it just was a long, 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 long street. And these people were beating guy. And nobody, nobody interfered. But it's I'm not talking about anybody else. I'm talking about me. Why did I not walk over? even though I knew something very wrong was happening, because I was afraid. So, uh, and I don't know, maybe once in three, four, five years, somehow, when something bad happens, uh, suddenly, this, this image of this man being beaten up comes to my mind. So, I don't know where it will it definitely uh, starts our conversation about fear. I don't even know if there is any lesson in what I told you, if I could act any different, uh, or maybe if I were uh, Bruce Lee, you know, knew how to fight super well, maybe I would interfere. But I can tell you that I experienced uh, fear. I remember fearing, I remember knowing that it was not right to pass by, and I passed by. Uh, and then many things happened uh, in life. You know, I went to military, I did crazy things. I uh, came from military. My sister and I went uh, whitewater kayaking. Um, I climbed mountains. I, I did something that would say, oh, I'm not afraid. But something happened. Uh, it, and I mentioned this to you in uh, 2020, in March, I got COVID the first time around. And for 11 days, I had fever of 103. I remember I was 65 years old. And it just wouldn't go down. I would take, I literally believe that my sister Ina and my nephew Oleg, the medical doctor that I once invited to the show, saved my life. Because if it wouldn't be for them, I was in such bad shape, I probably would go to the hospital. And you know what happened uh, when people went to the hospital. A lot of people died. Uh, I don't want to go there now. But uh, I am so thankful I'm alive. Uh, the, 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 what I want to tell you is, when I was with the, in this state, um, uh, going in and out of consciousness, because uh, fever would go up, I would take uh, Tylenol, 400 milligrams, I remember, sweat profusely, and wake up and be, and, and the temperature would go down for a couple of hours, and then would begin to climb after two hours, it would go again up to 103. And my, my nephew would say to me, okay, now take again Tylenol, because you could not take more than um, four times this 
uh, Tylenol because then it would ruin the liver and so on. And so I went for like this for 11 days. And then finally, on the 11th day, it was black. It was completely black. I knew I was not sleeping. I just took this uh, Tylenol. Again, I was sweating and closed my eyes and it was suddenly black. And it was such an incredible feeling. I felt free. I did not have any fever. I did not have any pain in my body. And this blackness was love. I cannot explain to you any other way. I, I, it's like I was, it was surrounding me, that blackness, and it was full of love. That's all I can say. And that blackness suddenly spoke to me. And it said, Do, are you afraid? And I remember in this waking state, half dream, half waking state, crying and saying, are you kidding? I am not afraid. I am so, so grateful. I don't even remember what I felt grateful for. But I said, I am so grateful. I am ready. And I can tell you, ladies and gentlemen, it's interesting because I said I'm ready. At that moment, I didn't think that I had children, that they would suffer because I, they lost me. No, didn't think about anyone. Uh, just said, I am ready. And then this loving blackness said to me, don't ask me in what language. It's like I became aware that it's saying, but we are not ready for you. You need to go back and learn to live without fear. And I remember in this blackness, I said, fear me, meaning like, you know, like Mr. Courage, you know, I'm not afraid of anything. But I then opened my eyes. Uh, and fever, my fever broke. And from that time, from that point on, it took me a couple of days, and I completely recovered. And that was it. But it was shock, a shock for me to hear that this uh, blackness, whatever you want to call it, it comes before you go into the light, and many people don't come back. Um, but it told me that I needed to learn to live without fear. It took me the la in, in the last now three years, unfolding, looking at myself, talking to my sister about it, and realizing how much indeed I lived in fear. And, and I am Mr. Psychotherapist, I help people to overcome fear, anxiety, but I looked honestly at myself and realized how many times I acted out of fear. How many times I didn't do things because I was afraid, what if? And, and that reminded me of something 20, uh, first my doctor dissertation, not by chance, uh, which I wrote a few uh, decades ago was from fear to freedom through imagination and will. And it was, I believe, so good that I even considered writing a book based on that dissertation, uh, the book called What If Syndrome. Uh, about fear. In fact, I remember Bentham Books was considering publishing it. Uh, I'm glad, by the way, it wasn't published because I definitely was not uh, at the level that I could honestly ask, um, could contribute 
to people what I can contribute, for example, now, after connecting with my own fears. Uh, but but then Bentham Books, I remember, chose not my book, but somebody else wrote a book, The Gift of Fear, and they wanted, they had um, to make a decision to publish one of the books about fear, and they chose that book. And I'm glad it's not. Uh, you know, I, I can write and teach something that I'm qualified to do. If I'm not, if I still live in fear, I can only share with you that my experience and tools, but to, to write a book, maybe now, maybe now I'm ready to do it finally. But anyway, so let's now begin our talk and uh, it will take probably one or more uh, shows to talk about fear. In fact, when when I spoke to you about what if, and that that what if encompasses fear and anxiety, which are two different phenomena, uh, and both uh, we spoke already about anxiety many times on on, on different shows, uh, but we'll speak today and maybe next show specifically about fear. And there are a couple of faces of fear that we want to consider. So I want you to hear these faces of fear and see if you can relate to any of them. Uh, one is I will be hurt, fear of being hurt. When I passed by that person who was beaten up, uh, and I did not interfere. I think that was my fear. It's like the most basic fear, because we have the basic instinct for survival and self-preservation. And so that instinct, that animal instinct really uh, stopped me from being the best of myself and somehow interfering. Uh, I would be very proud <laughs> if I could tell you now, you know, I interfered and they beat me up too. But that would be... Uh, would be much more uh, pleasant thing to remember than than simply passing by. But anyway, this is number one fear, uh, most basic fear to be hurt. The other fear is I will fail. Fear of doing something and not succeeding. And I've seen a lot of people who out of fear of failing would not even initiate doing something because when you don't do something and you just fantasize about doing it uh, and say oh if i only put my energy i would do it you can permit yourself you can enjoy fantasizing about success but the fear is that what if i give my best shot and i fail that's, we'll talk about it. I don't know if we can talk about it today, but any face of fear that I bring up today, uh, I want to address uh, at one point. But by the way, as I'm talking, please, please, please feel free to call. You can call. I gladly will interrupt my talk. And I will, if you want to share with fears or fear that you have been dealing with, if you have questions or comments, you're absolutely welcome. I want us to, to have this conversation. That's why 
um, I'm sharing with you with my fears. In fact, this is my way. When I engage, you know, in psychology, they, they say, uh, in school, psychology school, even social work school, they say, you need to um, be cautious. You don't disclose your own story. I think it's total nonsense. It's separating people from therapists uh, because we are really the same uh, a therapist in the client. Uh, it's not that one person is Mr. Mrs. Uh, well, and the other one, Mrs. Mr. Screwed up. And the screwed up talks to Mr. Know-how, how to get fixed. No, we're all in the same boat. We're different only in the degree, not in kind. And what makes people who are anxious or depressed or fearful uh, feel even more fearful and depressed is the feeling of loneliness. They feel that they are the only people. So if a person comes to see me and they experience something that I experienced in my life, I will gladly share with them. That's why I share with you, because I invite you to share your story, because we're all, we're all um, dealing with, with pretty much the same issues. Uh, I believe in most of this time, most situations in my life, I did things not because I had no fear. I feared and did it nevertheless. And then I overcame fear. Just like some people are incredibly wonderful public speakers. And I interviewed many people who speak in public. And few of them said, no, they never had a problem speaking in public. But majority of people, even very good speakers, had fear. Of, and I am one of them. Uh, I was terrified to speak in public. I was, um, I never spoke um, in public in my own language. And suddenly, uh, after being in the United States for two years, I became um, a therapist at the American Institute for Hypnotherapy called Petri Institute. And suddenly they wanted me to do group seminars for three hours, uh, a seminar on quitting smoking, on weight control, on stress management. Imagine stress management, Peter Resnick, who is terrified to stand up and speak in front of public. So, and I worked on myself and I dealt, I, I used the techniques of stress management and overcoming fears on myself to, to, to be able to do this uh, program with other people. And by doing it, I became more comfortable. And of course, now I can speak in front of hundreds of people uh, face to face uh, and feel very comfortable. In fact, I found that this to be uh, my asset now connecting with people. It was a difficult and actually nerve wracking thing to choose to to do the radio show because I never did it. And I think I shared with you, I never did it um, in my life speaking uh, into the air, not knowing how many people not listening to me, not facing them. Uh, and I remember actually being anxious. I remember that it was December 2020. And uh, suddenly, after giving thousands of lectures and courses, feeling so comfortable, I suddenly became anxious about doing this radio show. And I remember 
uh, touching my pulse. And <laughs> and my pulse was like 120, 130. And the reason I'm telling you about the pulse is because before, because I knew I would be talking about fear. And before I began this show, I touched my pulse and it was 72. And I smiled and I said, well, in these three years, you earned it. So there are many fears that we all share and we can overcome them as long as we don't give up on trying. Uh, as long as we don't get stuck. What comes to me now is uh, my friend and colleague, Dr. Frank Clifton wrote in his doctorate dissertation. And I remember reading it over 30 years ago, and I still remember it and quote it because it's so accurate, so brilliant. He said, he wrote, any prolonged mode of being, regardless whether it's labeled by the society, positive or negative, clouds one's openness and receptivity to life. I will repeat, any prolonged mode of being, regardless whether it's labeled by the society positive or negative, clouds one's openness and receptivity to life. Which means anytime we get stuck on being a certain way, whether it's negative or positive, even if you, oh, this is wonderful, everything is good. And if you stick to this euphoric uh, uh, state, you don't see real life around you. The same thing if you're depressed. So because life is a river that is constantly changing. So the only effect, in fact, the only thing that is permanent is change. And we need to be ready and willing to adapt to changes in life and to experience life fully. And for that, we must not be in a state of prolonged fear, because that clouds our openness to the possibilities that wait for us right behind this fear. So the next phase of fear we'll be talking about will be, I will be all alone. Think about it if you can relate to that fear. Nobody's calling yet, we still have 10 minutes. So if you were planning to make a call, please, this is the right time. Another phase of fear is I will lose those I love. I met quite a few people who terrify, who are terrified, in fact, uh, uh, a woman who was completely paralyzed in life, was afraid to leave home, because she was afraid something will hap would happen to her parents. They were, uh, when I saw her, were, they were already in their 80s, and she was terrified. She totally relied on her parents, was very connected and relied, not in a needy way, but but they were her best friends, and she was terrified of losing them. And that also needs to be addressed because living life is, is learning how to let go, to go to uh, elementary school, you have to let go of your favorite kindergarten teacher. To go to high school, you have to let go of your friends, possibly. Uh, and teachers from middle school, 
to go to college, you have to let go of being a cheerleader or, or a football player in your school. To go to work, you have to let go of your college and your college life and so on. It's all about letting go. In fact, uh, the studies of people who lived over the age of 100, uh, which were done in California, found that uh, people who lived over the age of 100 had four things in common, with one being the most, most prevalent. And these were, they were all active. Two, they found meaning in their activity. Three, they were optimists. And four, most important, they all knew how to let go to leave things in the past and move on. So we'll talk about it. I'm just bringing this up. Uh, we can, again, I'm really looking forward to your feedback. If you don't call now, please send me emails. I will still do the show next Tuesday because I will be in London. So at two o'clock here will be seven o'clock in the evening. Um, next Tuesday, I will be, I, you know, there is internet everywhere, I will still do the show. But if I uh, get your email, and you say to me, for example, your fear is about being alone or being hurt, I will spend more time talking about that. So in the next phase of fear, I will waste my life about not being fruitful, not being productive, literally wasting one's life. That's that's not as common a fear, but I have seen people with this fear. And finally, another fear, uh, I will be old and unwanted. I will be old and unwanted. That I think in my 30s, uh, I, I had this great fear of that. Yeah, I, I had these thoughts, you know, I was not married, I didn't have children. And I had a uh, quite a fear that even if I um, have children, what if they're not respected? Remember, I told you, I was a master of what if not by a chance, I wanted to write a book, breaking the what if syndrome. I think I dealt a lot with this old and unwanted. And I feel so blessed, so blessed that I have this wonderful relationship with my children. And I don't think that I uh, <laughs> I'm unwanted, you know, thank God, they're not only good children, but they want to talk to me, I talk virtually, they're grown people every day with them. So, <clears throat> and finally, one more fear, and that is, I will be no more about dying. This, in fact, I, I don't have fear, particularly that I almost died, I believe, you know, that day when the blackness spoke to me, but a lot of people, in fact, psychiatrist Irvin Yalom, a great, great psychiatrist, master in, in group dynamics, group therapy, he believed that it's a primary mover of our consciousness, fear of death. But I think that he, he from my my memory, I read his books many, many years ago, and he died already at least 25 years ago. But I think he was an atheist. That's why he emphasized so much fear of death. Because I know people who have true faith, and I met a number of people like that, uh, don't have fear, don't have fear of, of death. In fact, I had the privilege of knowing one Catholic nun, 
who um, who was smiling and you know, came to see me and said, you know, my my sisters insist that I come to see you. Uh, I know I'm dying, and they say you have to see a therapist. We know this guy. Ta ta ta. You have to talk, and and I do it for them because they feel like somehow it will improve my life. I know, and she had already um, a, a cancer uh, um, that was incurable. She knew that she had weeks uh, to live, pancreatic cancer. And she did it as a favor. She said, I, I'm not afraid. I know, I know I go to my creator and I'm, I'm fine with it. And I believe that she had true faith and she did not have fear. And I met a number of people like this. So, but anyway, these are fears, are what I would call existential fears. So fear of being hurt, fear of failing, fear of being alone, of fear of losing people that you love, waste, fear of wasting life, fear of being old and unwanted, and fear of dying. Of course, there are fears uh, like, which are more phobias, fear of dogs, fear of mice, fear of snakes, and so on. But these are phobias. It's a whole different subject. We, we can talk about it only if you ask me in your email or if you call. But otherwise, these existential fears would be interesting to discuss if you would like me to, it's time for me now to wrap up. Time runs very, very fast. Uh, I can tell you only that um, next time, uh, unless, again, you will ask me specific questions, and I will be answering those questions, I will take you through some exercises, mental exercises, dealing with this kind of fears. And the only thing is, Okay, when we do the exercise, usually I do the exercises with the group that is live, that, that is in front of me. And then I have a chance to ask people what the experience was, because what if they had an experience that needs still correction, if there is a conflict, but I don't see you in front of me. So when we do these exercises, I definitely would recommend those who have some experiences that particularly challenging experience that, that you call right away and i will tell you what to do anyway it's time for me to wrap up please 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 keep in touch i'm looking forward to having your attention a week from now tuesday at two o'clock in the afternoon at prn thank you for being with me today be happy peace to all who want to live in peace.